Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Last week in our two-part series titled Sanctification Unfinished, we did some theological digging delving into words like salvation, justification, sanctification, and adoption. As we walked through these biblical truths, we not only gained an understanding of our position in Christ, we also more accurately understand our Savior, and most importantly, His heart for us. I think that when we really grasp and understand these theological concepts, our marriages will be built on a stronger foundation, and together we will begin to look more like our Savior to a world that needs to see that. And it's in today's show, with these foundational truths firmly in our minds, we're going to look to see the people that God has put in our lives in a different way, most notably our spouse. That's our focus for today, to take up a new and compassionate heart of hope for their sanctification process. And this is critical because it's an often overlooked purpose for our marriage relationship. We need to think deeply about the critical part God is asking us to play in our spouse's process of spiritual growth. Now, I want to set this topic up with a story that we recently heard in church. And our pastor was actually recounting this story from someone else and Someone else had told it to him. So there's a lot of disconnected links here. I can't even begin to give credit to the person who actually told this story in the first person. But their experience was this. Several years ago, a policeman became a pastor. And it was in that role as a pastor that he told the story of what happened during a typical terrible car crash. You see, right after the crash happens, there's three groups of people that come to the scene. First is the bystanders. They're the people who look on, always keeping an appropriate distance. Sometimes they experience fear, horror, sometimes even sympathy. But they maintain that distance to protect themselves. The second group is the police. And as the policeman turned pastor, the guy relaying the story was very clear that this was his role. It's clear that we need police because without them, we have got lawless, chaotic things happening in our society. So they arrive and their job is to assess what's happened, to write the ticket, to assign fault. Well, shortly thereafter, the paramedics arrive and they're the third group. Their job is to provide help and care. Now they do that independent of who is at fault. And this is the key point. They work hard to save both victims and perpetrators alike. And they begin that process of care right away. And it's with these three groups in mind, the pastor asked this closing question in his sermon. To a world of people whose lives are in wrecks all around us, which of these three groups do you think you fit into? We'd all like to say that we're the paramedics, the selfless EMTs. And oftentimes we put on the uniform with the EMT logo on our back and we go into the lives of strangers. We see the homeless with the cardboard sign and roll down our windows to hand them some cash that we would have otherwise used to eat out that night. We pull away from him, saying a prayer in our heart, hoping that he will find the true meaning of life. But it's when we're at the store as a family, and we witness our spouse losing it, screaming at our disobedient children in the seat of the shopping cart, that our role begins to be in question. Some spouses try to take that role of an innocent observer. They're uninvolved, even detached out of embarrassment. Some are there just to assign fault. It's it's condemnation that they bring. They're the police. But it's the wife who knows that when... Chaos is happening in her life. Her husband is first an EMT. 
She's the wife who knows her husband is actively involved in her sanctification process. Hey, this is Tracy chiming in here. Let me ask you a question. Would your spouse credit you as a recent part of their spiritual growth? Have you invested in them or have you stayed on the sidelines? I'd have to say that recently David has really invested in my spiritual growth. We're not perfect at it all the time as a couple, but sometimes something comes on our radar that we need to address with one another. We need to point one another to Christ, and that's when we become true champions of each other. So if you can't name a time that you've recently been a part of your spouse's spiritual growth, ponder this. Can you be sanctified without other people? Think about that. Can you grow in Christ in a closed-off world all by yourself, just you and God? It's a tricky question, and it's one that I've been thinking a lot about lately, but I always seem to come back to the same conclusion. It's this. In isolation, that's when we're most vulnerable to the lies of the enemy, and I know this from personal experience. In isolation, we trick ourselves and cannot as accurately or clearly determine what is truth and what is a lie. God is a triune God. Think about that. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are in constant relationship with one another, and they always have been. In the garden, God had relationship with Adam. He paired off the animals two by two. He created a perfect mate for Adam and commanded them to multiply relationships. And from there on out, that's what it's been here on earth. And into eternity, that's what it's going to be. God has placed you in relationships to accelerate your process of sanctification. When you apply God's word, the vehicle to personal change, you do so in relationships. Look at the fruit of the Spirit for a second. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All but maybe one of those are only manifest and made perfect in the real-life situations we find ourselves in every single day. To quote the Believer's Bible Commentary, just as the blood of Christ cleanses once for all from the guilt and penalty of sin, so the Word of God cleanses continually from the defilement and pollution of sin. Let me put that in layman's terms. In other words, the blood of Christ has purchased eternal life for us forever in heaven. God's Word produces righteousness in us here on earth for the abundant life that Christ promised us. In Ephesians chapter 5, that famous passage on Christian marriage, husbands are charged in the very beginning in verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. Why? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church, a church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed it. They care for their body just as Christ does the church. And it concludes in verse 30 with, for we are members of his body. Just as Christ makes us cleansed, holy, and sanctified through the washing of the water of the Word of God, so husbands here are invited to participate in their wife's process of sanctification. That's you as a husband being a real-life, hands-on representation of Christ to her, laying down your life, laying down your ideas, your preferences, nourishing and caring for her like you would care for yourself. Remember, you've been cleansed, not by your good works, no, 
but only by the blood of Jesus Christ, knowing that you've got a lot of growing to do yourself. In all this, you become an instrument in the hands of the Redeemer in your wife's life. You participate in what God is doing in her life. You even accelerate it as you sharpen one another. Today, if you are a Christian, you stand in Christ's love and forgiveness. But do you stand in all the fullness that he's offered to you? Do you measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ in holiness for his glory and for your good? I don't think any of us could say we've gotten there yet. Last week on Vows to Keep Radio, we talked about a wheel, which as we read it in a clockwise fashion was like a spiritual growth chart. The stages are not unlike the physical stages that people go through. The circle is divided into five major slices. Think about it this way. You go from not being alive to being an infant, to being a toddler, to being a child, to being a young adult, to being a grown-up. So the first slice of the wheel, we see the category of spiritually dead. These are the people that are physically alive, but they're not alive spiritually. And that's all of us without Christ. Now, this is the stage that we need someone to come alongside us to share the gospel with us. And when we learn about Jesus, if we choose, we can accept him as our savior and then everything is different. We become born again. We've got a new life in Christ. In the second slice of this circle, we see the infant stage where we need to be spoon-fed, if you will, the word of God. This is a season in our spiritual life where we learn. It's a time where we actually begin to develop new habits. We're babies. We need nourishment so we can grow. This is really made clear in 1 Peter 2.2. So in this stage, as we learn from and digest God's word, we become children. And that's the third slice of this wheel that we're having you picture in your mind right now. Children connecting to God, we're connecting to others, maybe for the first time on a real meaningful level, beginning to see how we can take part in God's purpose for our lives. Living out our faith takes people. Because before that point as infants, we didn't really know or, or even care that someone smiled at us. It didn't register. But now we recognize relationships involve other people. But make no mistake, this stage spiritually is still characterized often by selfishness and immaturity. We still need to be taught in this stage. We're growing as Christians. This stage can be characterized by tantrums, fits of anger, tears, yelling. All that happens in kids when they don't get their way and they happen in childlike Christians who are full-grown adults as well. In this state, your future in heaven is secure because you're a child of God and you always will be, but you're frustrated constantly by how being a Christian doesn't make life as easy as you thought it would. Assuming, however, that a person does read God's word and they, they do apply it to life, they progress into the territory of a spiritual young adult. This is where your daily Christian walk matures to the point that your life is characterized by God-centeredness and even others-centered service. As a young adult, we become mobilized for Christ. Eventually, however, we have to grow up spiritually to the point that we begin to take seriously the call to become a discipler. No, you're not done in your own spiritual walk, but you do realize that to be a parent, you've got to have a heart for others. you got to have biblical knowledge, and then you need diligent action to back all of this up. And we ask you to see yourself on the wheel and know where God in his love for you wants to take you next. If you missed last week's broadcast, visit our website, vowstokeep.com to get the full picture of that or facebook.com slash vows to keep. 
See, as we grow in these areas, according to Ephesians 4, we are equipped for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If you want, you can read that whole passage. It's Ephesians chapter 4. The point is, if God did not care about his creation, if he did not care about your growth, he would leave you as an infant to fend for yourself. In his love for you, though, he offers you the opportunity to grow and change by the power of his Holy Spirit. It's an extension of his grace in loving us so much that he would not allow us to flounder. And he would give us the gift of his presence and his word to affect change in us over the course of our entire lives. Now, as we change, we realize that we're not here just for ourselves. We've actually got to love our spouses enough to want to see them change and to be used as an instrument of change in their life. In our marriages, we can't look at our spouse's sanctification process with a set of expectations on them to just be perfectly godly. The trouble with being the person who's watching someone else's sanctification is that often you see them through the eyes of a critical judge rather than the person who's there to actually help someone adhere to God's word. And that is a critical shift. That's why it's so important that anytime you bring correction to your spouse, anytime you come to refine their attitude or behavior, God's word must be what you depend on. And even how you share the correction, it can't be about your emotions. It can't be about your feelings or even your reaction to what they're doing. How you're affected by their sins are very temporary things. And often we will mislead that person to believe that they're just offending you. The reason this is so ineffective, and we see it all the time, is that your authority in their life is more limited than God's authority in their life. And the use of his word is what's going to define success from failure. I don't know if you've noticed, but in the real life scenario of marriage, you can't just command your spouse to change. Instead, we need to see ourselves as a tool in God's hands in our spouse's life that encourages them to do good because that's what the Bible commands them to do. And there's so much benefit in following what God's word says. It should not be an expectation of them, but actually your greatest prayer and your hope for them to cheer them on in their growth and to remember in their stumbling, in their sin, that as we behold the glory of the Lord, we too are being changed into his glorious image. 2 Corinthians 3.18 We remember that we were once darkness in the Lord, but now, according to Ephesians 4, 8, we are now light in the Lord. God himself is changing us and God himself is inviting you not to just be on the side. God himself is inviting you to not just be a sideline observer, but an active participant in permanent God glorifying change in your spouse's heart. So how do we do this? I think it starts by considering that sanctification is the process by which we observe our husband's or our wife's failures, and we lovingly take them to God's word for correction. Again, it's not because of our personal desires, but because of God's desires. Another one of the hardest parts of the sanctification process is that this is a lifetime assignment. Now, if I had to cut to the chase, too often, you and I are tempted to direct their lives and appoint yourself as the jury, the judge, and the jailer, rather than seeing yourself as someone who's an equal partaker of God's gifts of salvation, adoption, justification, and sanctification. 
See, this posture is everything. If we're the jury, the judge, and the jailer, most spouses actually become unteachable. If we let God be God, and we see ourselves as a fellow traveler in our spouse's life, there to help, there to teach, there to actually bear the weight of life together, we most often are going to see a spouse that stays teachable. Sometimes spouses even feel like they are parenting the other spouse or maybe even being parented by their husband or wife. This feeling sometimes comes when we stand on our own authority and not when we depend on God's authority. If we feel like we're being parented or we feel like we have to parent our spouse, we get a defensive, hard heart towards our spouse. If you feel like you have a parent-child relationship with your husband or wife, you need to do some serious self-examination. Get meek and humble, just like Jesus did, both of you. Use God's word as the sword of truth, not your opinion. Seek forgiveness for your wrongs. That is so key. Even if your wrong is only 5% of the problem, but especially when you know your spouse is having a hard time doing the same thing. This is how you lead in the sanctification process for your mate, how you help them, not by calling them out, but by showing them how it's done biblically. Pride is such an obstacle that sometimes we react like a kid. We're ungrateful of life-giving discipline. We quickly point out our spouse's sin, which almost is like a hope that we're disqualify them from being able to call out our sin. So take a step toward spiritual maturity. Set your pride down. Apologize to your spouse for the times you've ignored their sanctifying words. Get humble. Don't let pride stop you. So let's level set. Knowing where you're at in your spiritual growth is one thing. Knowing from God's word where he's leading you is the next. And that's an area that many of us fail to evaluate. We forget quite easily our position in Christ. We forget that we have tasted that the Lord is good, but we stop craving spiritual milk, completely forgetting that we are actually supposed to be growing up in our salvation. There are hundreds, if not thousands of people in your local churches who have become spiritually blind again, not spiritually dead, but distracted, disillusioned, having a form of godliness, but they're actually denying its power. The same is true in marriages, forgetful, spiritually blind people who are stagnated in a childlike state of growth. How do I know this? Because in your early years of marriage, it's common for you and your spouse to be iron sharpening iron. It's so sad though to be a couple who's been married for 15 or 20 years to a spouse who feels totally ineffective at being used by God in the other person's life. I think many times both spouses feel it. Hard, unteachable hearts bound up toward each other. Their pastor could say the exact same words as their spouse but it has 10 times more effect in their life. I see it in so many marriages, it almost infuriates me. This result is not from a one-time decision. This is a slow fade that happens over the course of a marriage. This is one of the reasons that I've given my oath to Tracy that I will not become a wet noodle in her life when she needs my help and sanctification. As her husband, I'm well positioned to see God working on a certain area in her heart, and I wanna always be tender toward that process. The same thing is true in reverse. I need her help in this process of sanctification in my life. I need her to be an encourager for godliness. I need her to point out sin issues with a love for me that runs deep enough not to let me continue to go astray. In this world of political correctness that we live in, it's very unpopular to do any kind of admonishing of other people, but it seems especially unpopular for a husband to correct his wife. Husbands, we're not asking you to take on God's role in your wife's life, but you got to be willing to be used by God in her life. The same is true for our kids. We can and should use God's word to lovingly assess one another, 
letting it be the filter that we look through. Guys, we need to ensure that what our wife is believing about herself and about her actions are correct. This sometimes means that she needs a lot of reinforcement. She needs a lot of encouragement that she has treasured, that she's valued, that she has a purpose in the kingdom of God. Other times it means that she needs the truth. She needs to be challenged with the reality of God's word. And again, this goes in reverse. Wives, we need your help as well. We titled today's program, Sanctification Unfinished, because the fact is that sanctification is a long and involved process that won't end until we go to heaven. The fact that your husband or wife hasn't arrived yet, quote unquote, causes many people to just give up. It can be discouraging when you don't see change happening right now. So let's take it one step further. You see, many of us experience marriage problems, but we don't see sanctification opportunity. If there's one thing I've learned in the years of marriage ministry that David and I have had, is that as Christians, we should never let a serious crisis in our spouse's life go to waste. Sanctification is often found in those big moments that we don't get to decide on. Sanctification in marriage, however, is most often in those little moments that we do get to choose our role in, and it's time to not wimp out anymore. God brings us those big moments to refine us, but in the little moments and decisions, we get to daily participate in the refinement process. As we wrap up today, I want to share with you about a journey that we took as a family. It was a 2,000-mile road trip across the United States to go visit family. Now, we didn't really mind the second or the third or the fourth or even the fifth mile. The 700th mile mark was even tolerable because we knew there was an end in sight. We knew the roadmap. We knew where we were going. But with stops along the way to eat and get out and stretch our legs, we didn't know the exact moment we would arrive at Tracy's parents' house. Hey, with a full tank of gas, a smooth running engine, and a paved road ahead, we could proceed, though, with full confidence. On this earth, you and I are either on the shoulder of the road with our hood up, or we've got our foot on the gas pedal, and we've got our GPS set on all that Christ has to offer. We've either given up on our spouse, gotten waylaid by the trials of marriage, or we remember that according to 2 Peter 1.3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Let us conclude today on Vows to Keep Radio by reading 2 Peter 1.3. It says, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know Him, the one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Verse 5 says, In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Flipped around, I mean, you can never love your spouse enough. Your job is never done. They will always need more grace. They will always need more truth, more patience, more of God's word. And while that could be kind of frustrating, I want you to imagine the other side of that coin. You get to experience a never-ending love. One that never says, I've given you more than you deserve, and now I'm done. No, see, you get a love that Christ can only be the source of. A love that says to your spouse, as much as your sanctification will require, 
I will give it with joy. A love that says to your spouse, without you in my life, I would be less spiritually developed. So let's continue on this road of sanctification unfinished with our spouse at our side. It's our prayer each week to bring biblical truth for your marriage with the hope that God would actually rule your marriage. We want to extend a heartfelt thank you to those who are already giving to this ministry each month. Did you know that Vows to Keep does more than a weekly radio program? We offer biblical marriage counseling for couples as well, regardless of a couple's financial ability. Consider times where you have received help with no ability to repay. This is the case for many couples who come to Vows to Keep. If you've derived benefit from this ministry, we would like to ask for your help to sustain and further extend the blessing for godly marriages. In order to continue to do what we're doing, we would like to ask for your support of $25 a month. To donate securely today, click the donate button at VowsToKeep.com. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.